The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Let me tell you just briefly um, how the message I'm going to share with you this weekend happened. So um, just a few weeks ago, would you give me a little more house light so I can see everybody's face? Uh, just a few weeks ago, I, um, I shared a sermon on John chapter 3. I hope a few of you were here. How many of you remember in John chapter 3, I asked you a question about it. In John 3, 16, who Jesus was talking to, and not very many people knew. How many of you know now who Jesus was talking to? You can say it out loud. He's talking to Nicodemus. Good. It's just a common answer around our church now. I love to hear that. And, uh, And in it, part of what Jesus told Nicodemus is he said to be reborn of the Spirit means that the spiritual life is like the wind. And nobody knows where the wind's going to blow, where it's going to take you. And so part of what I told you that Jesus was saying was that that means when we follow life in the Spirit, when we agree to follow Jesus, we're literally saying yes to Jesus before we know the question that he's asking us. We're literally like, I'm in, Jesus. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And that our response is always yes. And so it's in that context, if you preach a sermon like that, um, And then you have an opportunity. I've been telling you for a couple of years now that we were looking as a church for ways to respond to our brothers and sisters in Venezuela in the midst of the intense crisis that they were in. And I had a brief trip to Mexico City with some Ecclesia staff. We're working on a really unique Ecclesia trip that will partner with our friends fighting human trafficking in Mexico City and also eat good tacos at the same time. It's going to be a beautiful trip and experience uh, that we're going to try to do six to eight of every year. Um, and I preached at this church in Mexico City, and uh, they said, well, we have a guy from our church on the ground. His name's Diego, and uh, he needs help. He's on the Colombia-Venezuela border, and you can't preach a sermon about saying yes before you know what the question is or say you're going to do that and then not do it. So uh, this week, I get to share with you from the border uh, of Colombia and Venezuela. You're going to see a little bit of that on video, and then I'm going to follow up with you about what I think that means for us as a church and how we can respond. I can see this is Pastor Chris and it is truly humbling to be able to share with you from the Simon Bolivar Bridge. This is the bridge that connects the city of San Antonio in Venezuela and the city of Cucuta in Colombia. Uh, this has become a major pipeline uh, because there's so many supplies that you just can't get in Venezuela. So people are coming over literally by the millions. Some will stay, uh, some will move on, some will try to get what they need, very basic necessities, and bring them back. And Ecclesia, I got to tell you, I got a lot of days I'm proud to call myself an Ecclesia. And I'm proud uh, to be the pastor of a church now at our 20-year mark uh, that has done so much that's beautiful and good in the world. But to spend a day throwing a party uh, for our friends uh, that have been suffering has just been an unbelievable gift. I can't even begin to tell you the story. Uh, But we got great friends in Mexico City. We're going to be telling you more about them. When we were there, we were worshiping in a church called Bereda. We love that church. We have great friends there. And they started to tell us about their friend that had been a part of that church community, Diego. Diego is here, and uh, he's been serving in Cucuta. He's been here wanting to uh, care for Venezuelans, working with a group called Operation Blessing. And Diego said, we got a lot of needs. Would you come in and help us? And so, Iglesia, that's what we did. And we rolled in, and I got to tell you, our friends helped throw together an unbelievable party. 
Um, I wish you could see my tennis shoes. Actually, I'm glad you can't smell me uh, through this because we, uh, we have been sweating. Uh, I smell like sweat and hamburger grease. It's been a crazy day. Uh, we thought uh, just because there's so many people, 4,000 burgers would go fast, but you can't cook 4,000 burgers really fast. You wouldn't believe. We hired some of the best chefs in Colombia in a great city called Cucuta. Uh, we found one of the best restaurants and these guys were all in to help. And they helped, we didn't just throw like Costco frozen burgers up. They got great meat and grinded in amazing spices and handmade. And I'm telling you, every burger was amazing. Then our friend Wilfredo, Pastor Wilfredo and his wife Rocia, they came over to join us. They came from the other side of the bridge in San Antonio. Wilfredo is a pastor in San Antonio. He's served about as long as I've served at Ecclesia. He's been there a little bit longer. He's got 21 years at that church. And he served in years of great prosperity, years that uh, their church was serving indigenous people, native Indian people, and they've got a lot of mission programs. And all of a sudden he said, it's really hard because now we're the missions program. And he, he was asking, uh, well, he, he hesitated to ask even for the baby formula and supplies and protein bars that we brought to send with Wilfredo. He was hesitant to ask because it's so hard to be on that receiving end. Part of what Wilfredo told us is we serve 4,000 burgers. And if you would, would believe this great pastor, he didn't even want to eat one because he didn't want to take one uh, from the mouth of somebody else that would appreciate it. But I wanted to share a meal with him. We sat down and shared some food together. Hola. Hola. Como estas? Bien. Bien. Mm. Como te llamo? Laura. Laura. Mucho gusto, Laura. Mm. Soy Chris. Soy el pastor en los Estados Unidos. Si? Oh, ciao. Mucho gusto, Laura. Gracias. Oh, she's a beautiful girl. So, as I was telling you before I met Laura, um, we threw this great party and we realized it's a decent party with good food. It can be a great party with great food and great music. And I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, it's been unbelievable today. We've made more friends. Uh, people can't believe, who are these people from Houston? This group of people that have come together, Colombians and uh, Venezuelans, and people from all over Latin America helping to serve us burgers and offer music. And I just gotta tell you, Ecclesia, it's beautiful. So many of you are wondering, hey, that's great. I wish I was there and I wish you were there too. I wanted to share with you a bit from the scriptures. And uh, one of my favorite passages, uh, has come to mind while I was walking around with people today. It's a painful passage for me because in James, James remind us not to show favoritism to any of us who might be rich. And then he says, hey, if you're rich, he's got a few words for us, right? He says, hey, you've been eating all this meat. That's one of the reasons that came up is uh, as I ate with Pastor Wilfredo today, one of the things he told me that was amazing to me, uh, I felt bad we were serving hamburgers. I wanted to do better, right? I wish we could do lomo in Espanol. It's, uh, it's filet, right? I wish we could do filet mignon for everybody. He said, hamburgers. <laughs> he said, Pastor Chris, you wouldn't believe. He said, most Venezuelans haven't had one hamburger since this crisis began. In fact, they work a whole month for a wage that would buy one hamburger. Can you imagine? You work for a month, and you'd have enough money to buy one hamburger. So he says, the gift that you offer to them today, that's a big gift. It's a beautiful gift, and I'm so glad they weren't just burgers. They were really, really good burgers. But when James is speaking, he says, hey, you rich people, you slaughter animals, you get what you want, but I want you to remember to be patient and 
to think of others in the midst of their suffering, right? And in that patience, it's really hard because he defines it for us. He says, to be patient is to be like a farmer. It means you plant a seed, you wait for it to grow, you water it. It takes a long time till you get a crop. And as we look at the work that God would call us to do here, it's gonna take a lot of patience. And for our brothers and sisters suffering here, they're gonna need a lot of patience. And then in verse 11, I love this part of the passage. James says, look, we bless and honor the memory of those who persevered under hardship. Maybe you're at a place that you think, I'm facing some things, I don't even know how to face it. Or you can think of a time in your life that you've been there or other people that have. And he says, remember how Job endured and how the Lord orchestrated the triumph of his final circumstances as a grand display of his mercy and compassion. And Ecclesia, that's what I wanna to talk to you about today, is the story of Job. As we think about patience and suffering, what would we learn from that story? And I just wanna offer a few thoughts for you today, because for most of us, what's happening in Venezuela, at least before we got here, and now I get to be with you on this bridge, is something that's happening in a distant place. We got a few of you that are Ecclesians, you're Venezuelan, and you're thinking often and praying for family and friends here. But for many of us, we can go days or even weeks without checking in to find out what's going on. So I wanted to share with you, uh, as we think about the story of Job, what we should do as we respond to our brothers and sisters in Venezuela in crisis. And we could start with the story of Job with what not to do. And what we don't want to do is come here and try to offer any religious answers. We don't have any. Job's friends sat around and they said things like, it's God's will, right? I gotta tell you, the suffering that's happened on the other side of this bridge, the suffering that's happening here, it's not God's will. And there's no easy answer and there's no way to placate this suffering. What we have to do is be willing to stand in that place and hopefully uh, respond in really beautiful ways. Another thing we don't wanna do that Job's friends did is start asking, well, what did you do wrong, right? We could ask people, well, did you support this government? Did you, it'd be really, really easy. In fact, you hear political conversations where people want to create blame. And when you're in the midst of suffering, I gotta tell you, if you were Job and you buried 10 kids, can you imagine? For most of us as parents, just go there with me for a minute. Most of us as parents, the thought of burying one child, it's the most unnatural thing that could ever happen. We've experienced it at Ecclesia. The thought of burying one child is more than we can bear. Can you imagine burying 10? And in that place, many, came and leaned in and started to ask Job, Job, what did you do wrong? How did you miss out? What did you do to create this kind of suffering and bring it upon yourself? And I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, there is nothing good that can come from trying to place blame. It's the last thing our brothers and sisters here need. What else could we not do? Well, one thing we wanna try to avoid is living in excess while our brothers and sisters suffer. So if we walk with brothers and sisters that are in need, and we're gonna say, hey, you're a part of our family. You're a part of our Christian family. We have many Christian brothers and sisters here. What we don't want to do is just get lost in our excess and forget. So what can we do? And that's the really fun part of what I wanted to talk to you about today. The first is we wanna share stories and we wanna empathize. Today, as we um, hear stories of what's happening on the other side of this bridge, the average Venezuelans lost about 15 pounds. Uh, most people are already malnourished that it's in that place that we can say, hey, I want, I want to empathize, I want to feel their pain. And if we'll empathize, some beautiful things will happen. Here's the second one, and this is one of the big ones. This is what it means to be incarnational, to be Christian. It means you get as close as you can. Jesus came from heaven to earth to be close to us. And if we want to respond well to our Venezuelan brothers and sisters, this is what you ought to do. Get as close as you possibly can. Now, for some of you, 
Your proximity is going to be more in the heart and the head. You're going to think about, you're going to pray about our brothers and sisters. For many of you, you live in Houston, Texas. Congratulations. It's the best city on the planet, I believe, uh, and from the United States at least, to travel to Latin America. You can get on a plane, and in two connections, you can be here in Kakuta. And that's what we're going to invite you to do. We're going to be partnering with our friends at Operation Blessing uh, for the next 90 days. Till the end of June, we're going to be here uh, working with our friends. And this is what you can do. You can go now. You can pull up the United app. You can find a date that you're free, a weekend that you're off, and you can book a flight. Go from IAH to CUC. That's the airport code for Cucuta. And then what you're going to want to do is send an email to Ecclesia, Venezuela at EcclesiaHouston.org. And what we're going to do is give you the details of who you can contact, who you can get in touch with, and we'll give you an updated list of the supplies that we want you to bring with you. All of you can get at least 100 pounds worth of luggage onto a plane for free. If you've got status on United, you can get even more. You ought to bring a friend with status. You can get a lot more, actually, about 210 pounds. And then we're going to give you an updated list of what we want to be brought over here. It could be baby formula and socks and protein bars, like what we brought on this trip. Oh and then we're going to help you connect with a great little cheap hotel, or you're going to stay with our friends here at Operation Blessing at an Airbnb that they've got close by. And you're going to Uber back and forth. You're going to arrange it. We're going to give you the details, and you can pull it off. But this is what I've learned. The closer you get, the more you empathize and the more you want to help. And what we got to do on this bridge, I got to tell you, it's beautiful. This is what the scriptures called us to do, is just get close to each other and carry one another's burdens. You'll notice people walking on both sides of me, people on this side, they're on their way back to Venezuela and they're carrying as much as they can. In fact, when we walk over this bridge, I'd love to spend a whole day here doing nothing but this. Standing with brothers and sisters, introducing myself, letting them know I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian from the United States. I love them, I'm praying for them and they're carrying a heavy load and just offer to carry a suitcase, to carry a bag. People are carrying tires because they can't buy tires for their car in Venezuela. Whatever it is, you just help roll it and carry it and get it over with them. It'd be a beautiful gift. You could fly down here, bring some supplies, help feed some people and help carry their burdens. It'd be a beautiful thing. And here's lastly what you can do. If you could come and get close or even from a distance as you support the work that we get to do at Ecclesia, you can bring some joy because this is the thing, life is for the living. And even in the midst of suffering, people are longing for joy. And my prayer is, as I get to stand on this bridge, that every man, woman, and child gets to experience the joy of Christ, even at a difficult time. And I want to tell you, Ecclesia, you can do that. I don't know when you're free. I don't know when you have vacation. I don't know when you can come. What I can do is help connect the dots. I'll invite you. I'll give you the places that you can stay. I'll connect you with our friends and partners. And then you come and you just serve. Use your broken Spanish, use your fluent Spanish. Invite friends that can come and go with you and serve with you. Now, by the end, you'll be sweaty and dirty like me, but it'll be a beautiful, beautiful trip. So let me take a moment. We're gonna pray for our brothers and sisters, many that will cross this bridge day after day after day. And we're gonna to pray together that this suffering will end. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for friends that are part of the church from all across the globe that come to places of hardship and suffering and difficulty. And they believe the incarnation. They believe what Solomon talked about in Ecclesiastes, that two are better than one, that we're better off together. And then in the midst of suffering, if we'll lean in and empathize, not try to offer answers, uh, not try to avoid the realities, but simply lean in with Christian love and joy. And we pray, Lord, that we can be a part of the ultimate solution. We believe that you've called Ecclesia and every Ecclesian to lean in and be a part of loving people from Venezuela, 
from Colombia, from Houston, and all across the globe. And so we pray this together in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, there's a lot of things we can disagree on. Um, but I can tell you, the Venezuelan grandmothers think I have great dance moves. So I don't... <laughs> Some Ecclesians seem to disagree, but I'm telling you, the old ladies in Venezuela love my dancing. So... Um, we, uh, we, we, got to, we got to laugh, and we got to dance, um, and we were reminded, right, it, it doesn't take long uh, to see that we're the same, that we belong together. And so this is one of those places, Ecclesia, that we just get to lean in and say, okay, God, what's next, and how can we help, and what can we do? Now, not all of you um, should take a trip to Colombia-Venezuela border, in fact, uh, for many of you, you, if you're not an experienced traveler, it would be a little overwhelming for you. If you have United status, I want you to pray about it at least. Um, <laughs> because what we learned, uh, again, when our friend said, hey, come, and if you'd bring these things, uh, again, there are a lot of things we can buy on the ground. We can buy meat, and people are thrilled. So when we gather money, we're going we're gonna to buy meat. We're going to buy food and some of the things we can buy on the ground. There are a few things we can't. Um, so I, I didn't realize, right, bring some good socks. I thought, well, Okay, socks or socks, right? But when you have people leaving Venezuela, they're coming to the border town there in Colombia, and they know they're about to walk for an untold amount of weeks, right? Can you imagine just, and we hand a really good pair of socks from REI, and I watched a woman just start to cry. She knew what those would mean for her feet, right? And, uh, and I learned, wow, that's a really meaningful gift, Pastor uh, Wilfredo's wife, Rocio, um, it was such a blessing to help them load suitcases. So whether you go, even if you're not going, you're gonna help somebody load up a suitcase, okay? You're gonna help gather some supplies and help somebody load up a suitcase. Um, those suitcases will not come back to you. Um, they need those suitcases just as much as the supplies you can see, carrying them over that bridge, uh, that having something to carry things in is really important. And uh, Pastor uh, Wilfredo's wife, Rocio, she opened the bag and went through a few things as we were loading them up to carry them to the bridge. And she opened up one with a box of Cliff Bars in it and she decided to try one. She opened it up and, and I like Cliff Bars, but I didn't, it didn't occur to me that for her, this is uh, like a meal replacement, right? She, she took a bite and she just started to weep, just tears started to flood down her face. And she kept saying, you know, in Spanish, so delicious, right? Sabroso, rico, so and nutritious, it's so nutritious. And for them to be able to give somebody in their church something that could replace a meal was a really significant gift. Or as we waited, you could see maybe in a few of those shots, there was quite a line to get a burger. Now, we moved people through rather quickly, but people would line up, you hear there's a free hamburger, and we got to pray with people as they went through the line. People got to make fun of my Spanish, it was really fun for them, and uh, I could just go tell them who we are, and where we're from, and, and uh, say a little prayer, and, uh, and as we got to do that, right, there was one particular baby that just wouldn't stop crying, and it was that kind of painful cry, if you've been on a plane with a baby, everybody around the baby was probably just a little bit on edge because you could just feel this baby. So I tried to get, we had a little custard dessert and I brought it over, this baby tasted it, didn't want any of it. And I thought, well, I'm just gonna try. I, I can pull one bottle of formula out 
and I'll bring it over. You kind of have to be really sneaky in those environments because if it's like you start to hand out formula, you could have a, you know, a little bit of a riot on your hands, right? So I just carefully hid it in my pocket and I came over and I just gave this baby a little drink of the formula and she's still pretty small, but she knew what she was getting, right? And she started to grab that bottle and she, you could see in her eyes, this baby said, I need some nutrition. I need this milk. And um, for me, I thought, uh, I think I'll do whatever I can to bring some Ecclesians in that would bring some formula, some nutrition bars, some socks, but also to bring our, our presence along the way. So I wanna just teach you from Luke chapter 12 today. And then I'm gonna invite you into a few ways that we can respond together. Um, one of the natural things we do in this uh, kind of environment, it happens in churches and sermons here at Ecclesia and churches everywhere every week, is if we hear a, a powerful message, um, our instant response is that is a great message for we think of someone else. They really need to hear that message. And in Luke chapter 12, that's exactly what was happening. So Jesus has been talking about generosity and justice and his kingdom. And it's in that context in Luke 12 that this man interrupts Jesus, right? And this person in the crowd gets Jesus' attention and this person in the crowd says, teacher, intervene and tell my brother to share the family inheritance with me. What's he saying? Say, Jesus, your message on generosity is a fabulous message for my brother to hear, right? And we instantly can think of someone, usually wealthier than we are, no matter how wealthy we are, there's somebody, wealthy. they could be really generous, right? And Jesus offers just beautifully this reminder that actually, why don't we all look at ourselves? And so this is what he does. He invites us. First, he states his thesis. And um, he tells us, he, use, he, he, uh, he says to the man, right, I'm not your judge or arbitrator. And then he took the opportunity to speak to the crowd. And before he tells the story, this is what he says. He offers his thesis. He says, you'd, you'd better be on your guard against any type of greed, for a person's life is not about having a lot of possessions. Right? Jesus is saying at the very baseline, like this is not, things are not what you live for. And, um, and for each of us, right, the, the reality is if people ask me, hey, what's the major threat to Christianity in our culture? I, I, I'm, I'm not, like, I don't, I don't think it's Islam. I don't think it's Wicca. I don't, like, I don't have a list of other religions that I think we're competing with. I think the dominant religion in the United States is consumerism. The sense that, like, life's about getting things. And, and often we live this way, right? If, we, if you have a bad day, some of you call your pastor, you call somebody for prayer. A lot of you go shopping, right? Just like, I feel better for a minute, right? A little bit. You go to Target or the Galleria, and it's like, I have a new thing to enamor me for a moment. Right? We, we all laugh because we all have the impulse, right? And so Jesus just tells us, hey, life, that's not what it's about. And then he tells a story. He says, there's this wealthy man. He owns some land that produced a huge harvest. And he often thought to himself, I have a problem here, right? So he, he has this year, he hits it big. I told you um, uh, recently I was leading a retreat for some Christian businessmen and as they would sit down and tell me their story, they would say, you know, I had uh, 
this year I had a liquidity issue, right? And I, first I was like, what? Everybody kept talking about their liquidity issue. When you're a pastor, that means you peed your pants, right? I don't know what you're <laughs> talking about. They're like, I had this year and I had too much money, right? I just had this year and I made a lot of money and I had to figure out what to do with it. That's the story Jesus is telling. This guy has a liquidity issue. He's got too many crops. He doesn't know what to do with them. So he says, I've got this problem here. I don't have anything, anywhere to store all my crops. What should I do? So he says, I know. I'll tear down my barns, my small barns, and I'll build even bigger ones. That's the natural Western answer. If you make more money, you need more space to have more of your stuff, right? He says, then... I'll have plenty of storage for my grain and all my other goods, and then I'll be able to say to myself, I've made it. I can relax and take it easy for years, so I'll just sit back and drink and have a good time. And then God interrupted this man's conversation with himself. Don't you hate it when you're trying to have a conversation and keep God out of it, and God interrupts you? Like, God, I didn't ask you what you thought of this, right? I I was making my own plan. And God says, excuse me, Mr. Brilliant, but your time has come, tonight you will die, now who will enjoy everything you've earned and saved, right? This is how it will be for people who accumulate huge assets for themselves, but have no assets in relation to God. Now what's Jesus saying? Is he saying that this physical world is bad? Is he saying that money is bad? No, no, you should save some money. I highly recommend that you save some money. Take a Dave Ramsey course and remind yourself, like having an emergency fund, having, that, that there's nothing bad about having some money. But Jesus says, if all of your investments are physical, the physical world's not bad, but if you don't realize there's also a spiritual world, and in the spiritual world, those investments are much more significant, and we ought to be much more focused on that world. So Jesus then turns to his disciples and he starts to teach them. I just want you to hear Jesus' teaching because it's going to invite you into a place of faith. He says to the disciples, but he's saying it so the crowd can overhear. This is why I keep telling you, right? He's told them a few times. So when Jesus repeats something to you, it's a pretty good signal it's important. Jesus repeats it. Some of you picked this up on the podcast or you at Elder last week. You're like, do I have to listen to this again? Yes, you have to listen to it again. And you know what? It's probably not so bad because if Jesus repeated it, it's probably it's good for me to repeat it. I preached it a few times. This is what he says. He says, I keep telling you, don't worry about anything in life. Anybody here feel like I've crushed that this week? I didn't worry about anything in life. Do we have any? <laughs> Anybody on the other end? It's like I've kind of worried about a few things in life. Right? I've worried. He says, don't worry about what you'll eat about how you'll clothe your body. Life is more than food, and the body is more than fancy clothes. Think about those crows flying over there. They, do they plant or harvest crops? Do they own silos or barns? Look at them fly. It looks like God is taking pretty good care of them, doesn't it? Remember that you are more, more precious to God than birds. He's inviting the disciples and the crowd and us into a new place of faith to say, if we trust in God, right, our generosity flows, ought to flow not out of guilt or manipulation, right? Even after the last service, I had some some brothers and sisters. I just feel so ashamed that I have so much and other brothers and sisters have little. That won't be a helpful place. 
We, th- this is what I want you to hear in this passage. This is p- part of the struggle. So the beginning of the passage, remember the guy that interrupted Jesus? So he interrupts Jesus, and what's he say? Tell my brother to be generous, right? Now, do you remember in Jewish uh, tradition how the inheritance was divided? This is really different for us. It's really different for us. If, if you had children, the first son, the oldest son, would inherit a double portion of the inheritance. Now, think about that in your own family. And if you're not the oldest son, you're probably thinking that's not a great scenario, right? Now, well, let's flip it from thinking about Jewish families. Let's think about us in general when it comes to being blessed, right? How many of you think that God looked down on the world and he went, you know what, I just like these Western people so much I'm gonna give them more because I just like them better than the rest of the other the world. I just, there's other places I don't like those people as much. Anybody think that's what God did? None of us are that ridiculous, right? We know better than that. What do you think God did? I think God said, you know what? I'm gonna give more responsibility to these people. When the oldest son got a larger inheritance, you know why he got a larger inheritance? Because he was responsible for caring for the rest of the family. If somebody else got in trouble, if they had a health crisis, if something went bad for them, the oldest was responsible to care for them. And so I think God said, you know what, I'm gonna give some people more, but it's not so they can just indulge more, it's because I'm gonna give them more responsibility. And it's in that context, right, that God says, hey, I've given you so much, I've taken care of you, will you respond in generosity? Jesus goes on and explains what this kind of peace looks like. He says, which one of you can add a single hour to your life or 18 inches to your height by worrying really hard? If worry can't change anything, why do you do it so much? It's a great question, Jesus. He says, think about, and this is what you ought to do, so think about the question, but then Jesus gives you a directive. He says, will you meditate, will you think about the lilies Those lilies growing over there, they don't work up a sweat or toil for their needs. They don't worry about clothing, yet the great King Solomon never had an outfit that was half as glorious as theirs. He says, look at the grass growing over there. One day it's thriving in the fields, the next day it's being used as fuel. If God takes such good care of such transient things, how much more you can depend on God to care for you? Weak in faith as you are, don't reduce your life to the pursuit of food and drink. Don't let your mind be filled with anxiety. Now, I don't know about you, Ecclesia, but this is important teaching for me. I could easily, if I drift off course, one of the ways you'll see me drift off course is that life becomes about food and drink and worry about what could go wrong in the world for me or those that I love. And God says, I want to invite you into a place of faith. And in that place of faith that you know I'm going to care for you, you're going to be freed up to be radically generous in some really beautiful ways. And then he explains after this, he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be prepared. I'll just summarize it uh, for us, Gabe. Um, I want you to be prepared for the moment to come where you can be remarkably generous. Be ready. Just be ready. And they're beautiful words to live by. And Ecclesia in that tradition, now is one of those times I've said, let's be ready. And I feel like God has opened a door for us. So let me tell you a little bit about some of the stories and friends that we made there. And, um, 
and that'll give you a sense of how I think we can respond. Um, First, let me tell you about one of the babies that I can't get out of my mind. One of the hard parts for me, if you wanna pray for me, um, when I go on a trip like this, is that uh, I feel a sense of responsibility to the people I meet. Um, That there are people that you meet that you know you can help and they don't run into people every day that can help. Um, And so even when I'm able to turn it off uh, in the daytime, at night I dream about um, many of the people that I'm gonna tell you about. One that I have dreamed about many times is this little baby, Jorge Alberto. So Jorge, um, his, his mother, I didn't get to meet his father, Uh, His mother was fabulous um, and just a passionate, beautiful woman, but very broken over the circumstances of Jorge's health. Uh, Part of what's happening in Venezuela is that when people run out of what is real food, they start to eat almost anything. And people are mixing things that aren't actually food. Um, Someone apparently mixed um, powdered milk with a substance that had uh, some amount of lye uh, in it. And little Jorge ended up drinking that uh, substance and consequently has a very extreme form of liver failure. Um, we, uh, we were able to locate a medicine that was being brought over uh, in the days to follow uh, from the United States that we hope will help. This little baby will likely have to take this medicine all of his life or at least until he can have a liver transplant. Um, if you can fathom, they were a very middle class, upper middle class family. Jorge's mother worked as a dentist, uh, his father as a graphic designer. They no longer have any work. And when Jorge became sick, they became desperate. They sold their four bedroom house, a very nice home. I saw photos of this home. Um, They sold the home for $700. And they walked away from everything that they had um, so that they could try to seek treatment for little Jorge. Um, Pray for him. Pray that the medicine will work and that God will direct this family to a place uh, of peace. Uh, This is a story I hurt to tell you because I want it to be done and complete and we're just still in process. Um, I made a dear friend uh, with this lady, Alexandria. Alexandria um, was getting treatment from the doctors basically all day. They were going back and forth and conferring and I couldn't figure out. Alexandria took a seat close to the fan and it was so hot the pastor liked to come talk to people by the fan. Those were my favorite people to talk to. And uh, Alexandria, as you can see in this photo, has a number of pins going through her legs. She was in an accident and uh, they had to kind of piece her Uh, back together, hold her legs together. Those pins, uh, as you can imagine, uh, could become easily infected. And especially when you're moving around more than you should be in that circumstances, uh, she ended up with an infection and the antibiotics are not treating uh, the infection. She needs a better hospital than what we can find there. We instantly began to work on trying to get her to another hospital in Latin America and had made arrangements to fly her to Argentina. Like many Venezuelans, she thought her national ID and passport have been both expired. The government has not been functioning. You can't just go get an updated ID and passport. Um, all of a sudden, Alexandria said, I can travel. She knew that our church said, we will pay to fly you there. We had a hospital set up. We had lodging set up for her in Argentina. And uh, suddenly she said, I have my current ID. And we said, it sounds like a miracle, but great. And when we went to immigration to uh, get it taken care of, we learned that Alexandria had just hired someone to forge an ID, and it was really a bad forgery. Um, she became very ashamed, um, as though she had done something wrong. I, I 
said really clearly, like, next time tell us we'll pay for a better forgery. Um, <laughs> like that just was not the... Um, Alexandria is at this place right now that the doctors are saying either we have to amputate your leg or you'll lose your life if you don't get treatment, right? And so, I, you know, I just, we just want to get her someplace where she can be treated. Um, she is seeking an authentic ID uh, back in Venezuela, and we are hoping that somehow God will grant that so we can get her to a place that she could be treated. The, the, the clock is ticking uh, for this infection, and so we just ask you to really uh, to pray for her. I could tell you more stories, but let me just, t- I'll tell you a couple more. Um, baby Beto, um, this little baby I got to hold for a long time. His mother just handed him to me, and I didn't realize when I got him, um, I was overwhelmed by just how high this little boy's fever was. Um, if you remember when you had, your kids were little, some of your kids are little, how helpless it felt when your kid's fever was, was skyrocketing and you were sitting at home with all the comforts and air conditioning and um, having a little baby with an extremely high fever in the heat and um, the lack of any meaningful medicine, it, the helplessness is so overwhelming. And um, there are a lot of these babies for us to care for. So let me get to some of the good part. Um, the building that we're in, that we're gonna be, those of you that choose to travel, not, again, not all of you should travel. I'm not trying to tell you you should. Unless you have status, then I'm asking you really to pray about it. Um, I, all of us should help in some way. Should pray, we should give. A few of us should go. And as we go, our hearts are gonna expand. One of the reasons it expands is because I'm overwhelmed by churches on the ground that act before we act. So, so uh, one of my new best friends on the planet um, is Pastor Mauricio. So Pastor Mauricio is the pastor of what they called, he started the church, but they're about as old as Ecclesia as well, uh, La Frontera Church. They're a border town. He just called, we're on, the, we're on the border. We're the border church. Now, in those days that he started the church, the border really worked the opposite way. Colombians went to Venezuela to get jobs and get help, and everything has flipped. But this pastor, Maurizio, he rented the building that you could see in these photos behind us, where we've got clinical teams set up, we've got water filtration uh, set up, so people have been drinking from the river, trying to get them not to drink from the river. Um, A lot of great services that we can offer out of this building. And so I asked him, like, Pastor Maurizio, how did you get the money to go rent this building? (laughs) He just said, I didn't have the money, I just had the faith, right? And uh, I just said, you are my kind of guy. And, uh, and he just knew it was the right thing to do, right? And so instantly to be able to be there and be able to say, I know my church and I know that we will raise enough money to cover the cost of this building for you. And so one of the things we're committed to is to cover the cost of this building and hopefully to cover uh, something that can cool it down a bit, some ventilation, some fans, some air conditioning. Uh, people are waiting to get medical care in extreme heat. And our hope is that we could help um, create some of those environments. There, there is so much that we can do, Ecclesia. And so my um, great joy as a pastor is to get to say, I believe that these are the things that we're made to do. Jesus speaks of this in the Gospel of Matthew. And this is what he says, and it's one of the most important verses, I think, in all the Scripture. Jesus says, he's, he's looking at all these people and inviting them to follow him. And this is what he says. He said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I think that's all of us, right? Weary and burdened. And this is what he says. And I will give you rest. 
Now, we hear that passage and we instantly just think, that's what I need, I'm tired, right? I need a nap is what I need, right? Did you know on Kirby, Upper Kirby, they've opened a nap room. You can go pay for a place to take a nap. It's like $20 a minute. Just breathing on Upper Kirby is expensive. (laughs) You can go take a nap. You can pay somebody for a place to take a nap. And most of us think like spiritually, what I need is like a really good nap. And Jesus says, if you're tired and weary, this is what you need. He says, put my yoke upon your shoulders. You see that just in very short distance, Jesus says rest and yoke, right? The yoke, like they put on a big ox. He says, I'm gonna give you a burden to carry. Put my yoke upon your shoulders. It might appear heavy at first, but it's perfectly fitted to your curves. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. And when you are yoked to me, your weary souls will find rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, you're tired, not because you're doing too much, because you're doing too much of the wrong things. He says, when you start doing the thing you're made for, the thing you're built for, the thing God created you for, you come alive. People were asking me last week, coming back from Venezuela, I did two red eyes in short distance, right, to get there and get back, and I hit the ground running that next day. People are like, aren't you tired and exhausted? Yeah, I'm physically tired, but I'm energized in a way. When you're doing the thing you're made to do, you kick into this other reserve battery you didn't know you had, and it just, it throttles you, right? You go, this is what I'm made to do. And I gotta tell you, every one of us, Ecclesia, is made to be a part of this work, to care for our brothers and sisters in some way. Now, the reality is the need is beyond even our capacity. But the reality is whatever we give, we can do a hamburger day every day. It's about $1.75 to buy a burger from a Venezuelan, $1.75. And from what uh, Pastor Wilfredo said, most have not had a burger in a couple of years. This gift, all of a sudden we realize it's a burger, but it's a big gift. And so together, we believe God's called us to do something really beautiful. And I think we're gonna be blessed because we're gonna find that we are energized and we find joy in ways that we hardly could imagine. And some of you are gonna go try to do your dance moves with some Venezuelan grandmothers. And, um, And you're also going to come back with a smile on your face like the one that I can hardly wipe off because I'm reminded that people are beautiful, they're faithful, they're resilient, and that when they are reminded that we're in this together, when I would tell them, I'm a pastor from the United States and our church loves you and is praying for you, eyes would light up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please pray for my baby. Please pray for my mother. She's too old to be able to make the trip here to the border. I can't get her out of Caracas. Story after story after story. And so together, we're gonna do what God made us to do we're going to find great joy in it. Would you bow with me as we come to this table to celebrate God's love? Lord God, we thank you for this bread. We thank you for this physical reminder that the story of Jesus is the story of the incarnation, that you draw near to us. And so today, God, we pray that as we draw near to you and to those that you love, You said that if we wanted uh, to encounter you, we wanted to show and express our love to you, that we could do it as we serve the least of these. And so, God, we thank you as a church that we're able to do that. We thank you today for this cup, for this wine and juice that says to each of us that forgiveness is real, that you forgive us all, that wherever we have 
failed you, wherever we've drifted off course, that you call us back, that you offer us your grace, and that you call us into a new day. And so, Lord, we take this cup today with great joy. And we ask that as you unite us together as a body, that our brothers and sisters to the south would also feel that love and encouragement. We pray all of this together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.